Welcome to Guest Getter, the best place for restaurateurs to learn the art and science of getting more new guests, getting guests coming back more often, and getting guests spending more per visit so that you can be more profitable and do more of what you love. My name's Kyle Guilfoyle. Let's hit it. Today, I'm excited to have Peter Lassar on the show. Peter is on a mission to help restaurants rise from just surviving to actually thriving. He founded two restaurants that were recognized by the 50 Best in Its Discovery series, and he spent over a decade studying and applying principles of stratospheric restaurant success. Today, we'll be diving into the first principles that he's discovered, the impact of the radical shift we're seeing in the industry today, technologies that you'll want to begin harnessing as soon as you can, and much more. Let's get into it. Peter, how are you doing? Great, Kyle. I'm excited to be here on your podcast. This is a real honor for me. Oh, I'm, I'm excited to have you. So I, I always like to, to start with the same question, which is, yeah. how would you describe your particular area of expertise, your zone of genius? Yeah, that's, that's is really the question, isn't it? Because um, uh, everybody, including restaurants need to have a zone of genius, right? And, uh, and uh, really nobody's genius can strictly be tactical, right? It has to be something that runs deeper than that, right? And so if you were to talk to professional tennis players or basketball players, actually a lot of their genius doesn't have to do with specific tactics. It has to do with specific belief systems and and certain principles of how they play the game, right? And where I believe my zone of genius lies uh, in the restaurant space is really helping the industry to translate what's going on behind and beneath the tactics and strategies that we all can touch and see that really do drive the performance, the outperformance of our industry leaders. Awesome. And, and when it comes to getting beneath the surface of the conventional tactics and strategies, is there one thing about that that you wish you had learned years ago? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, uh, I'll, I'll give you one that uh, might sound basic, but, um, but it, it speaks to what you do right now, for example, Kyle. Um, we all can look at, at a beautiful sign for a restaurant and say, okay, that sign is standing out, right? And, uh, and beneath that sign that looks really appealing at night or in the day or on a pole sign or whatever, there's a, the first principle of visibility, right? And the more visible you are, the more people will recall you and the more people will recall you, the more revenue you'll have, right? And unfortunately, most of us never actually think very clearly about that principle, but it applies to every aspect of our business, right? Just you and I being on your podcast together is creating visibility, right? For both of us. Mm -hmm. um, and for restaurants, it translates in, in so many ways. It translates to how the, the owner positions their own personal brand in the market. Are they trying to become a thought leader, for example? It translates to how... Um, how sort of weird and out in left field your new dishes might be because those pattern breaks create visibility, right? Versus everybody sort of always serving chicken wings is one example. And I really wish I had understood um, 
visibility at its deep core mm -hmm. many years ago because I think it would have it would have transformed uh, the way I think a lot earlier. Uh, I, I love that. Um, just as a, a bit of an aside, one of the things we do for clients is we, we create a dashboard and, and one of the tabs is awareness. And, um, and, you know, and so we, you know, we show tangibly how many impressions they're getting, which, which normally I think people don't actually know how to monetize or, or how that actually turns into dollars, which, which is actually why we're creating a metric called earnings per impression. Um, so I, I, I love that that's, that's something you wish you'd learned about years ago. Uh, I, I'm actually, you, you mentioned one thing that's piqued my curiosity right off the top, which is the, the notion of restaurant owner slash operator as a thought leader. Would you be able to, to dive into that a little bit and, and why you think that is either uh, a good play or, or not? Yeah. Um, so uh, let me uh, start with uh, the following, uh, writing a book is hell. It's something that can, uh, dig at everybody. Right. And, uh, and there's not a, an author that I've ever spoken with, uh, who hasn't said they, they went way down a rabbit hole to write a book. Why do we think that so many, uh, of the world's most famous restaurateurs and chefs write books? It's hell to write a book. <laughs> Uh, they, they do that because it allows them to take their thoughts and organize them and put them out there for the world to see their thoughts in writing or if they're using other types of media uh, and other types of media so that they can be recognized as a leader for the way they think, right? And, um, and that puts butts in the seats like crazy. In fact, it's probably the best free marketing uh, you can possibly uh, uh, take on. And in fact, for many of the most sort of famous people in the space, it actually pays them money to do that sort of thought leadership, right? So it's actually an added revenue source that is also a marketing uh, tool at the same time. And so restaurateurs have this advantage that they're in a business that involves uh, things that we all deeply care about, which is food and health and nutrition and, uh, and the way we feel about ourselves and so forth and so on, right? And in all those different areas, there are many different uh, ways of thinking that if you just organize them and, and you, take, you take a stance that is uniquely your own and you lean into it and you start publishing around it, whether it's just being on podcasts or uh, doing your own podcast or writing for the local newspaper or whatever, the more you organize those thoughts uh, into uh, cohesive thoughts that resonate with people, the more people come into your restaurant, just the way it is. Totally. And um, one of the things I often talk about is, you know, part, part of our job is, is to get an impression, but another part of that job is to extend the lifespan of that impression. And I, I can't think of a, a better way than to, you know, have a have a book with your restaurant or even just your name, um, you know, on someone's table and, uh, and, and be impacting the way they, they think through, through your, your words. Um, so, so what, one of the, one of the many reasons I'm excited about our conversation is, uh, I believe you and I have very similar missions. Um, I, I've been in this industry nearly 20 years. I've, I've worked with restaurant owners who are absolutely killing it and they, they lead wonderful lives. And I've worked with those who are beat down and exhausted and right. underlying both are fundamental principles. 
right? And actions. And your book seems to me to be an, an exploration of the, the, the good kinds of principles that lead to, you know, um, freedom and, and a great life. Um, so before we dive into some of those principles, I'd love to just take a step back in and hear the origin story of how you found your way into this business. Uh, yeah. Um, so it's, uh, it's a weird one. I, um, I lived in Afghanistan as a boy mm -hmm. and this was before the Soviet union. I'm dating myself before the Soviet union invaded Afghanistan. So anybody who's a history buff can figure out those dates or go look on Wikipedia. So it was a long time ago. And, um, and it was a very safe place, uh, believe it or not, uh, until the Soviets started to come in, coming in and we had to leave. And, um, uh, and there was a, a little uh, food stall that was a few blocks from my house in a little market. And I would go to that food stall as often as I can and order lamb kebab with these huge pieces of naan made in a deep clay oven. Uh, and I think I paid like a quarter for, you know, what was just a mountain of food. Um, and, and ever since then, restaurants have, have resonated with me. And, and I was fortunate to live all over the world as a child and all over the world as an adult. And so I've had this sort of journey of culinary exploration. And along the way, I got to make observations about the space maybe outside the, the, the noise and, and the competitive nature of the, of the US uh, restaurant industry that gave me some perspectives and made me want to go deeper. Uh, and that's, that's really how I got started. Um, and then uh, later in life, uh, now I'm, I'm a, a younger uh, man than I am today. I, I was part of a group that put together a company that eventually went public and we ended up with operations uh, in Asia and Latin America, a small operation in Europe. And we had many restaurants and they were awful. <laughs> and, uh, and we really didn't know enough about the business uh, to uh, make them into good businesses. Um, and that was what really was a catalyst for me to say, hold on a second. I want to go and look at everybody from McDonald's to the French Laundry and everybody in between and ask the question, what do they have in common? And, um, and I quickly scratched below the surface of tactics because it was obviously not everybody had that in common. And I scratched below the surface of strategy because not everybody had that, that in common. And I started to see more clearly some principles that were universal. Um, and of course, when I mentioned this to restaurateurs early on, I, I got laughed at that a lot because um, it just was not, uh, it was a weird question. What does McDonald's and French Laundry have in common, right? <laughs> well, you know, and I know that actually, uh, once you're in this space long enough and you're thinking about it, they have a lot in common. Uh, it's just really hard to see below the visible, visible surface, right? And, uh, and so that, that's sort of how my journey then jump started uh, years ago, about a decade ago into understanding these principles and trying to communicate them. Uh, incredible. Well, I, I look forward to, to, to hearing more about, about what French Laundry and, and McDonald's have in common. But first, yeah. I, I'd, I'd like to preface my next question with, with a quote from your book. Uh, it's kind of yeah. a long one, but, but here we go. There's a question that most restaurateurs never ask about. Where do greatness and great financial results come from? The short answer is that they both come from the same source and are dependent on one another. 
That source is in having a growth model structured to attract large numbers of new customers, attract back large numbers of diminished customers, and to convert both at unusually high rates into loyal ones. Stacking up large numbers of loyal customers with high lifetime values is the growth model of restaurants. And yet how to do this authentically, repeatedly, and for the long-term is not the meaty subject of any restaurant development or management course in the world. And to that, I would say that is um, almost alarmingly accurate. And so my question is, in a capitalistic society where most go into business to become self-actualized and to make profit and impact, why is this fundamental question so rarely asked in our industry? Uh, it, that's a great question. Um, and I, I'm so glad that you used that, that particular section because it really does capture the essence of it. Um, well, I think that it, it, uh, it's multifaceted as an answer. What one is uh, that uh, it's just not something that is taught. And so that's a multi-generational issue, mm -hmm. right? It's for generations, we haven't had restaurateurs and chefs that are passing on, uh, on uh, all of the knowledge you really need to succeed. And so let, let me uh, try to explain that. If you were to go to study theater, for example, uh, you would learn how to act and you might learn how to write a play, but uh, if you had a really good program, they would actually teach you the underlying principles of why Macbeth or why uh, Cats or Rent have performed so well, right? And you walk away understanding the base layer of what makes theater uh, so uh, uh, important to people, what makes certain types of theater really resonate and, and make it popular, right? Um, and, and nobody spent the time is really the first answer to your question. Um, and and that's, that's sad because I think that, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of restaurants have lost out over history. But the, another part is that we're in a very hard business and we're in the hard grind every single day, right? And, and to have the mind space to just sit back and make observations and think and take some time to do a little bit of uh, sort of em em empirical searching, right? Um, it's really hard to do. And, uh, and so people get caught up in, in those details of performing well for their clients on a daily basis uh, to the detriment of really uh, being able to dig into that underlayer and, and figure out, to go back to the visibility example, you know, how to point visibility at every single aspect of what they do to increase recall and revenue, right? And, um, and, and so I think those are, those are the key issues. Another thing that you mentioned that most restaurants uh, or most restaurateurs don't know how to increase headcount at will. And, and I love that. Um, it's kind of like having, you know, customers on tap, which, which I, I believe is, is and, I, and I see it in, in clients, this is a possibility. Uh, would, you, would, you, would you be willing to, to dive into how, how restaurateurs can begin to uh, acquire and deploy that skill of having, um, you know, uh, headcount at will? Yeah. Um, so if you're listening to this right now, pull out a pen and paper. <laughs> Okay, because this is this is really uh, where all the theory uh, uh, goes into practice, right? 
Uh, let's start with the the uh, the conceptual and the principle first, and then let's let's lean into Kyle's question. Um, the uh, when you drive down the street, or any of us drive down the street, um, and we see shopping center after shopping center after shopping center with restaurant after restaurant after restaurant, those form patterns in our lives, right? And uh, and we stop seeing those patterns. And that's actually a biological response. So our ancestors, when they were hunters and gatherers, would no longer see the grasslands, right? Uh, or the forest. They would only see things that broke the pattern that alerted them to danger or that alerted them to food, right? And opportunity. And so uh, we have to break patterns to get people to see us in all aspects of life, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that translates into, you know, how you write your headlines and for your, your ads and, uh, and how you select your, your photos, but it, it goes a lot deeper than that. It, it really is, how do I uh, bring products and services into the market that are breaking the patterns that everybody else uh, is, has fallen into, okay? And uh, if you really look at the leading restaurant brands around the world, whether independent or fast food, they all broke new ground in the way that they developed their business and in the products that they launch, right? So all the destination fine dining is about putting out the most cutting edge food. Well, cutting edge means food that breaks the patterns that everybody else is serving, right? Um, and uh, you know, when uh, McDonald's launches, uh, you know, some new product, they are trying to break the patterns of fast food. When Taco Bell launches some crazy new, you know, Dorito-based taco, they're trying to break the patterns that everybody else has in that space. So we see them, okay? So the first thing is, if you want new customers to look at you, you actually have to break the patterns that you share with your competitors so that they will even just see you. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they're just driving by, right? And that, whether we're talking about literally driving by or social media advertising or anything else, right? Um, and, and so that's where, uh, that's where you start to attract new eyeballs at will, right? Because you develop a practice of learning how to uh, uh, break patterns and launch pattern breaking products and services as often as you can. I mean, not every day, but, you know, three, four, six times a year. I think Taco Bell's up to nine product launches a year, every single one, which is designed to be pattern breaking. And uh, every single one brings in new customers and some really hit home and bring in many new customers, right? And that's really the basis for all of our growth is to bring in new customers that we can then convert at higher and higher rates to loyal ones that give us lifetime value, right? Um, so that's the short and, and, and sweet of it. Uh, in the book, you obviously go into uh, pattern breaks in a lot more detail and there, there are different levels of it, uh, but um, that is really uh, a valuable question that you ask because it's, it, it hit homes with everybody, everybody I speak with. Totally. And if I could offer a couple of, you know, a couple of thoughts on that. Uh, 
One is like, I think, you know, I, I think mo most of us in this industry, we, we know what a product is, right? It's, it's a cocktail. It's, it's a dish. Um, yeah. It could be, it could be a recipe book you put out. You know, there are, are, are so many op opportunities to do a, so like a so-called product launch. Right. Um, now I think that because, because most, most bars and restaurants who are listening to this are competing at a local level, at least right now in their journey. And yeah. um, tactically, what I would, what I would suggest as you're doing research in terms of how you can differentiate your, your establishment. Um, well, well, one is you could look at what other people in the industry are doing and you could do something that is a departure from that. But also what you can do is you could look at what other people in other cities are doing because you are not competing with them. And so if they are running ads and a, a wonderful place to look at the ads that people are, are running is if you Google Facebook ad library, you can literally type in, you know, bars and restaurants from other, you know, neighboring cities, and you can see what they're, you know, what they're, you know, running um, paid traffic to. So those are just a couple of ideas um, that, that I think uh, tactically would help somebody find ideas to launch new products. Absolutely. To find pattern breaks, you have to find patterns first. Yes. You actually have to be able to see what you're doing that everybody else is doing uh, and then say, what's the opposite of that? Mm -hmm. And every time you say what the opposite of it is, it's going to sound crazy or maybe even silly and embarrassing. Okay. <laughs> that, that means it's probably a great idea. You just need to work on it. Okay. Because when it's silly, that means that other people might see it as something that they actually might see it, I should say. Now you can work it and, and, and make it something that's more mature, but you want to preserve the pattern break itself. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I'll give you one uh, great uh, example, which are the Papadias from Papa John's, right? Those products have done really well. And if you don't know what those are, you know, people, you should go and, and look for them, right? And Papa John wanted to increase its day part business, right? Mm -hmm. And so it looked at the patterns of what pizzerias were serving in its day part, right? And they said they're serving uh, calzones, right? And they looked at Subway sub shops that also compete with them in their day part business and they're serving Subway sandwiches. And so they said, well, we can't serve either one of those. Those are the patterns, mm -hmm. right? So we have, to, we have to figure out what is as near opposite or contrarian as we can possibly uh, do. We have the baseline, let's imagine the opposite, right? And that's what you do. And they started going through that list, right? And eventually they said, well, actually we can sort of bring uh, both of those concepts of sandwiches and calzones together and we can make closed faced sandwiches with pizza bread that's a lot thinner than you would get in a calzone and but use sandwich style content so uh you know all the sorts of great sandwiches you'd find at subway you can now find actually in calzones but they're called papadillas and they've done wonderfully uh, uh they've been wonderfully profitable uh for papa john so that's the sort of work you have to do right and i, I guess one thing uh, that I, I would add to that kyle is most people that i speak to uh, who don't have a lot of resources. When I'm speaking to somebody who's really an independent owner operator, they only have a manager, for example. Mm -hmm. They're like, I don't have the time. You know, I just can't make the time. And 
And that's really critical for you to actually recognize what you're saying, because um, what happens is we cannot operate and innovate in the same space, right? We can't actually effectively operate and market within the same hour because we're like running back and forth, right? Uh, uh, you can't be water and ice at the same time, right? Uh, and you need to recognize that. And so you really need to find hours of the day, whether it's first thing in the morning on Monday or whatever you know, hour of the day you can put aside just to focus on product development. And then once you've got a new product, just to focus on how you're going to market launch that product. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Otherwise, you won't get through. Totally, and um, and I love that you're referencing, you know, bit bigger, bigger brands and chains because I think that a lot of a lot of local owners operators would think, oh, well, like that's not us. But what what you need to realize is these big chains have invested, you know, millions of dollars into product development, into their marketing, and so it behooves us to to reference them. That's all we're doing. We're just referencing what it is that they do so that we can kind of piggyback off of that investment that they've made, if that makes sense. So- And, and, and I would, sorry, I just added that, Kyle. They were all humble single unit establishments at one point, totally, right? Totally, yeah. They followed these principles to become big chains. And, and, and whether you know some, somebody who's watching this wants to become a big chain or they just want to stay with their existing restaurant, make it as successful as possible, we have to understand that those sorts of principles we just discussed are the ones that actually lifted those humble establishments up to where they are today, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've never. It's, it's almost like it only takes one great product launch to you know to to kind of change the game. Would you Would yeah. you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I think I think that uh, first of all, if you have one great product launch it gives you tools to understand how to do another great product launch, right? And so I, I totally agree with that statement. Um, every uh, product uh, has some diminishing returns, right? And so you might do a great product launch and, uh, and then six months later, it might not be bringing in new customers anymore, right? Uh, but the skill sets that it gave you and the new people that came in at that point, who maybe are bringing in other new customers can absolutely snowball. Totally, and you will you you'll see these diminishing returns happen sooner in a local market. But if it if it was successful, once once it does fatigue or whatever you want to call it, it's then just a matter of giving it a facelift. You know, it's it can be the same it can be the same product essentially with just a few you know a few variations to make it look different so that um, it gets the eyeballs that, you know, bring people in through the doors. So th th this is awesome. Now, we're, we're, at a, we're at a crossroad in the industry. It seems like restaurateurs are forced to either change or even die on a daily basis. Um, but what I believe and what Restaurant Strong, your book suggests, is that instead of being reactive, we can turn to first principles. And so for a restaurant, I believe that begins by understanding what a restaurant is at its core so that restaurateurs can ensure they're focusing on the right things. Uh, and this is, this is something you mentioned. So I'd love for you to, to riff on, on what a restaurant is fundamentally at its core. Um, yeah, phenomenal. So uh, when you ask virtually anybody in this industry what a restaurant is, uh, the natural response is to 
say it's uh, a place that serves uh, food and beverage and had some initial idea around which it defined its food and beverage and the service format that it put together to serve that food and beverage, right? Um, and uh, I'll go back to the, the, the theater example for a moment. And it's sort of like saying theater is a bunch of people standing on stage uh, speaking, right? It doesn't actually tell us, that definition doesn't tell us how a su highly successful, high performing restaurant evolves. And, uh, and so it's really important to explore that, right? And um, really at its core, and, and, and so many people uh, have disagreed with me and have, have had debates with me on this uh, time and again, and, uh, uh, and I'm gonna say it again because it's really important for you to hear folks, regardless whether you believe it today, but a restaurant is a solution provider at its core. Mm -hmm. And uh, you might say to me, uh, people have, well, okay, I can sort of understand how, you know, fast food might be a solution provider. People are hungry, they're driving down the street, they need to grab something and keep going, right? That makes sense. They're solving a physiological need that we have, right? Uh, that makes sense, Peter. Um, tell me about Noma. How is Noma? <laughs> or the French Laundry, or Per Se, or Eleven Madison, uh, just to go to the, 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 the far opposite extreme, because then maybe we can draw the conclusion that if I can commit you on those, then everybody else between these two groups are also solution providers, right? And um, if you understand the hierarchy of human needs as Maslow looked at it, okay, who is, Abraham Maslow is the, the person who invented this concept that we have this hierarchy of human needs, uh, you'll understand that we have physiological needs uh, around hunger and around the need to reproduce and around the need to have shelter, right? All the way up to self-actualization needs, right? The needs to keep learning, right? So if you're a grown person and you decide to study a foreign language just for fun, that would be you self-actualizing, right? Or you're going to a museum or to the theater as you self-actualize and you're continuing trying to evolve as a person, right? Um, and, uh, and just below that is esteem, okay? This, this sense that I want to be respected by people in my community. I want to feel like I have a certain status, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, if you go to the French Laundry or Noma or any of the others that I mentioned, uh, you're really going there for two reasons, two needs that you really want to solve. One is you have this human need to keep learning and evolving, right? And so you want to be able to go to a restaurant like that to really understand what cutting edge cuisine is all about, right? Because it is an art form, just like going to a museum, right? And it opens your heart and mind. Um, and it's also about steam, esteem because unfortunately, even uh, you know, monkeys are uh, 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 have a pecking order, right? Something that's deep in our evolution. And, uh, and so we like to be able to tell people that you went to the French Laundry, right? Mm -hmm. Because you feel a sense of arrival. Okay, those types of restaurants are solving needs. Okay, if somebody just wanted to go and have a great meal, right, then they wouldn't spend thousands of dollars to travel there, stay overnight, have a great meal, you know, pay a couple thousand dollars in wine bills that they didn't realize they were accumulating during the evening, right? Um, uh, want is not strong enough. 
<laughs> and so whether you are a casual dining restaurant or a casual fine dining restaurant or a fast casual or some sort of hybrid, uh, uh, um, if you don't understand the needs that you should be solving for, uh, you actually can never fine tune your solution so that you can solve those needs better than everybody else and be the best at solving them so that you naturally rise up, right? There are many fine dining restaurants in the world that are fantastic. The ones I just mentioned among you know, a handful of others uh, in other countries are the best at solving for those needs I mentioned. And that's why they rose up, right? And so you need to understand your needs, become the best at solving for them, and you will naturally rise way above your marketplace. That makes sense? Yeah, it totally does. And um, there's this common saying, it's don't, you don't want to sell people what they need. You want to sell them what they want. And if, if all you're doing is, you know, saying, even just saying to yourself or having the belief that, yeah, we, we serve food, we feed people. That's a very, you know, base level um, of, of human fulfillment or whatever. Um, whereas if, if you, if you start realizing that what you're selling, I love how you said arrival, you're selling arrival. I actually used to think, well, we're actually selling escapism, but I, I think arrival is, is more, um, is more apt. It's like, it's like the uh, similar saying is you don't want to sell the flight. You want to sell the vacation. Right. And absolutely. You, you have to, you have to understand the needs and solutions. Mm -hmm. And then as Kyle, as you're saying, you then package that in desire, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but understand that desire is filled with human needs, mm -hmm. right? And uh, and that's where the deepest desires come from. They're actually biologically, uh, sociologically driven needs that we have, right? Um, we go to Hooters as men, right? Uh, for those who go to Hooters, because we have biological. Uh, we have desires to see women, right? And, and that is actually biologically driven. So you're, you go to Hooters because of your biology, right? Um, so I, I, would, I would say that the first step is to understand the need and the solutions you can bring to bear and get better and better and better at them. And then Kyle, you're absolutely nailing it. You have to figure out ways to market it in ways that, that provoke desire understanding what you're really trying to accomplish though. And would you be able to recommend some, cause I imagine to some people, this sounds like a little like, you know, um, I don't know, esoteric or whatever. Is there, is there an exercise of some sort you could recommend that a restaurant tour could go through with their team to get clear on what you know, what the problems are that they solve or what, you know, what the needs and desires are that they fulfill? Yeah, actually, you just, you, uh, thanks for the, the gift. You need to buy the book because there are exercises in the book itself. At the end of every chapter, uh, there are exercises in relation to uh, the principles of that chapter, including needs and solutions. And those exercises are all free and you can access them all, all, generally online somehow, okay? Um, but the first is really understanding what the hierarchy of restaurant needs is, right? Which I detail in, in, uh, with case studies in the book, uh, because once you start with that, uh, it all starts to clarify and then you can sort of move into exercises. Awesome, awesome, love it. Uh, so we're, you know, as I mentioned, we're at a crossroad. 
uh, in the industry. And part of that is, is technology. I mean, technology is always, you know, I, I always, I, my, my strong feeling is that folks in this industry are, are generally uh, late adopters of technology. Um, and we're right on, uh, we're right in the middle of the, you know, of, of blockchain technology, which is, which is right. um, major. And, and you, you mentioned that uh, you believe that this is going to be a game changer for, uh, for restaurants. And, and I'd love to hear about how you, how you see blockchain uh, playing into uh, the restaurant industry. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And, and let, let me just re reinforce what you said about late adopters. The, the industrial revolution happened in the, in the late 1800s. It wasn't until 1950 that we came up with assembly line kitchens. That was 60 years or so, <laughs> okay. Uh, restaurants are really slow adopters. And uh, if you're a restaurateur, take that as a huge competitive advantage huge. for you to just try to be an early adopter, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense right now. Okay, uh, because 95% of the, uh, the industry that are, are not sort of our leaders, because all of our leaders are early adopters, that's one of the reasons they became leaders, 95% of everybody else is never going to be an early adopter, and so this is really a competitive edge for you, okay? Um, listen, I, I believe there's a new paradigm uh, for restaurants that's unfolding. Uh, blockchain plays a, a, a piece of that uh, new paradigm. And, and how it's going to play a role uh, will, uh, uh, in its entirety, is still to be spelled out. But I'm going to give you two examples, okay? One is uh, just around uh, uh, ingredient tracking, okay? So let me tell everybody what blockchain is because uh, it can confuse uh, uh, people. Blockchain is, think back to the old-fashioned accounting ledgers, you know, those books where you keep your, your credits and your debits, okay? Um, and imagine that that uh, book has a page that can just extend for billions of entries, one single sheet of paper, okay? Blockchain is essentially an, an algorithm, a piece of software that uh, is virtually impossible to break through because of cryptography, okay? That allows you to keep the accounting of something forever. Okay, and uh, and so what happens is uh, increasingly in our supply chain for restaurants, uh, we are getting very concerned about where something was grown, how it was grown, who grew it, what sort of person grew it, uh, and uh, and how it moved through the supply chain, and was it protected on its way so that we don't have. Uh, food sanitation issues, and uh, how fast did it move through that system and hit my uh, kitchen door, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so if you're concerned at all about ingredients, whether you like to serve organic food or healthy food, or just want to make sure that you're not getting people sick, what blockchain is about to do, okay, uh, and there are many companies working on this, IBM has got a huge effort called the IBM uh, uh, food trust is they are trying to attach pieces of that ledger to every single ingredient that is farmed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and, and within that ledger, 
it's being written down who grew it, under what conditions grew it, what day it left, what day it was picked, you know, every, everything about it, right? Was that an organic farm and, and so forth? And that ledger is traveling with the ingredient, right? Just like your FedEx packages are being scanned as they're moving along, right? So by the time it's gone through the whole process, hit your door, you can you know and can tell your guests, yeah, this was this was uh, uh, farmed by a migrant worker in California. It was not imported from some other country, and uh, it is an organic farm, and you you can trust, right? Mm -hmm. It takes the fraud out of the ingredient uh, sourcing process. So. Um, that's maybe not important for a lot of small restaurants today, but as larger restaurants lean into it more, you're going to be forced to catch up. Okay. Where's more interesting and Kyle in your space, uh, I can see you becoming a leader in this. If you just lean into it for a couple of years, because that's what it's going to take is, uh, in loyalty. So what happens is think about your loyalty programs right now, right? And uh, loyalty is most often these days attached to your POS system somehow, right? Um, and loyalty is really just a ledger, right? It's how much that person spent and you got to create a ledger of how much you owe them in whatever form you, are, you owe them stuff, correct? Mm -hmm. um, but with blockchain, you can scale that ledger out to uh, millions of customers. So let's say that you're an Irish pub, right? Uh, if you had the right marketing agency that understood blockchain, right, uh, you could reach out to 500 of the world's top Irish pubs and do a joint loyalty program and put all your clients on it, okay, who love Irish pubs as they travel around the world. And what will happen is if they spend in your Irish pub, that gets shared, that ledger gets shared with everybody. And if a dollar was set aside for loyalty, that goes into a reserve. And then when an Irish pub over in Timbuktu has that same customer walk in and want to grab their points, they grab that dollar that was sitting in reserve, right? So it literally allows loyalty to go, go universal, mm -hmm. right? Where we can share points in, in a second, right? And we can pay for sharing those points. That makes sense? Yes. Yeah, that's uh, incredible. What will happen is that dollar will move to Timbuktu from your pub in Victoria in about 10 seconds. Wild. No cost. It's Wild. Very, it's very cool. Yeah. Okay. So blockchain is going to change many things in our industry. Those are those are two, one on the back of the house side and one on the front of the house marketing side. Uh, but you all need to be watching it uh, mm -hmm. carefully over time. Well, we're, how do you, how exactly do you recommend people, you know, keep, keep up with it and do watch it? Is there, is there like a resource you'd recommend or anything like that? Yeah, there's no, there's you and I, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, they need to find you on, on, on Twitter or however they follow you. They need to follow, they need to find me on, 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 on Twitter or, or my website and, and, uh, and leaders, uh, uh, like we are trying to be, you need to step up and start educating folks because nobody else is doing it. That's how much of this is really new ground for everybody. Totally, totally. And so I, ju I just have, I want to be mindful of your time here. And, and I, so I just have a couple more questions. The, the first one is, so you, I, I believe in your book, you, you outlined six, six principles. Is that right? Six main 
or is it five? Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there are a lot of sub principles, but yeah, basically five and a consolidation. So my, I kind of want like a rapid fire question for you, which is if, if a restaurant owner day in and day out could focus on just, just three to, you know, propel them to like, you know, new, new heights, so to speak, are there three that come to mind right away that you would recommend? Yeah. So let, let me tell you the, the hardest one and the most important one, the, okay. um, and, and let me give you a, 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 a sort of a metaphorical example, okay? Um, there are people out there on the internet that will go and they will have big voices and they're shouting all the time, uh, but at the end of the day, they're empty suits. There really is no content behind them, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and those folks generally don't last very long unless their claim to fame is fame itself, right? Which only very few people are able to stand up. Right, you you really need to stand on some ground and be, develop some expertise in something besides just serving food and drinks, right? And um, and you get known for for that. And so the first is you really need to have a strong point of view, and uh, and that point of view is not that I, I serve uh, hamburgers uh, or I serve fusion hamburgers or it cannot be tactical around uh, what you serve. It really needs to uh, break what is called a cultural truth, which is sort of like a, a big pattern, right? And uh, and so uh, you know when uh, farm to table first uh, uh, was reintroduced by Alice Waters uh, in California, the United States, she was breaking the cultural truth that we were moving towards sort of all processed food and said, hold on a sec, we need to get back to the basics, right? That would be. The cultural truth that restaurants are increasingly going to be about processed food and she says no it's got to be the opposite right if you don't have a point of view almost everything else that you do is like going on the internet and screaming and being an empty suit mm -hmm. it's it's just screaming okay mm -hmm. so if you do buy the book folks uh you need to spend a lot of time on that particular chapter right um the next is uh needs and solutions. You need to understand the needs you're solving. You need to understand how to solve them. And uh, and part of both of those are pattern breaks, as I, I've already spoken about. You really need to understand how to spot uh, patterns and and solve uh, uh, and bring in uh, pattern breaks. Okay. There's a lot more to it than that, but those those are some basics for you to think about. Love it, love it. Uh, so so Peter, what's I'm just curious, what, what's next on the horizon for you? What, what are you most excited about both in your, your own projects and, and the industry as a whole? Yeah, well, um, um, I'm, looking for, I'm looking for unicorns, right? So um, uh, I really work with very few restaurants, but I hear restaurants every day that I possibly can. And I help as many people as I, I possibly can, but my job is uh, to go out uh, and find those special little restaurants or you know restaurants have a number of units and figure out how, how to take them up to billion dollar valuation companies and public trade companies. That's, that's sort of where I can add value having gone through that process myself, right? Um, so I'm excited about uh, uh, some brands uh, that I'm working with uh, right now. Uh, 
and uh, and I'm excited in general every day to be speaking to to restaurateurs who have these crazy ideas that maybe a lot of people aren't listening to, and I fall in love with them. Right? Um, that's one. Uh, two is uh, there's a, a paradigm shift going on, right? And I don't know how much time we have left, Kyle, but uh, I really think everybody needs to understand how the paradigm of restaurants is changing before our very eyes, and we're not really catching on to it because that paradigm shift is going to give everybody huge new opportunity that we're not feeling right now as we're feeling all the pain and not having enough labor, mm -hmm. right? Um, so essentially what is happening, and I want you to think of this as a vision cast for a moment, mm -hmm. uh, is that we uh, are obviously seeing an acceleration in delivery, right? Uh, and it's grown 300% since 2017, according to McKinsey, uh, we're seeing an acceleration of ghost kitchens, right? These kitchens that are just uh, only kitchens that are servicing uh, uh, delivery on an increasing basis. Euro Monitor says that's going to a trillion dollar industry by 2030. Um, and so I, I want you to look into the future, folks, and try to figure out what that means, what's coming down the pike. And what I can tell you as a reference is, Remember the world before Amazon, right? When we had to, we had a very inefficient world and then Amazon came in, built some infrastructure and was able to ship us goods. And then we're able to get goods in 10 days and then we're able to get goods in a week. And now we can get a lot of same day delivery all over the United States, right? And these delivery services and production kitchens which are all over the world. China has more production kitchens than we do. India has more production kitchens than we do. Um, is going to allow for restaurants, any restaurant from any place in the globe to serve meals to anybody anywhere in the globe. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's what's coming. And, uh, and we don't all see it because we're still back in Amazon takes a week, 10 days to get me a product, but the infrastructure being laid out by folks is hugely accelerating. Okay. Now, to take advantage of that, you have to have a very powerful brand, right? And of course, a brand gets power by solving needs with solutions, by breaking new uh, ground, by all these things that we, we've talked about. But if you have a very powerful brand, I want you just to imagine something. So Rene Redzepi, uh, uh, could, uh, the founder of Noma, could tomorrow probably serve tens of thousands of meals in the United States if he could figure out how to get his ingredients here, right? Which would be tough because he works with very scarce ingredients just based on his brand name, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Jiro, the famous sushi chef in Japan, single unit could do the same thing and could serve sushi in every single market virtually in America and Canada, okay? Tomorrow with very little investment, right? Um, and, and so this is good news and it's terrible news. Okay. It's good news because if you have a powerful brand, you're going to be able to project yourself everywhere in the world. Okay. Mm -hmm. David Chang could go to Europe or Asia, for example, and use his global brand. Right. But that means that these brands are going to project themselves into your market. Right. So if you're serving chicken wings, you know, all these wing stops and all these sort of brands that are in the chicken wing space are going to be moving into your market if they're not already there, right? And so if you don't have a powerful brand, you are risking being 
commoditized even more than your business is right now, right? And, and so that's, that's the double-edged sword that you have to be on the correct side of that, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be the one who's figuring out what a restaurant brand, uh, how a restaurant brand is really empowered. And you need to be the one who then is moving into a couple markets over and then moving a couple of markets over and establishing your own territory so that uh, you don't get commoditized out of business. Now, this is like Amazon going to take years but guess what, as Kyle and I said at the beginning, we're all late adopters here, except for those who aren't, right? Totally, which is, yeah, most most are late adopters. But we're begging you guys not to be. <laughs> yep. Right. Peter, Peter, this has been uh, amazing. I, I, think, I think we'll probably have, have to do this again. Um, well, is there... Is there where 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 should people go to 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 learn more about you and to buy your book and to potentially connect with you as well? Yeah, so anybody anywhere in the world can get the book on on Amazon. Uh, you can get the book on Barnes and Noble. Uh, those are those are the easiest two places uh, uh, to get it. Um, I would start there. You can go to peterlesar.com, uh, uh, Peter L E S A R.com. Uh, there's a restaurant strong community on Facebook where there are about 2,300 restaurant owners uh, uh, where you can go to and I'm in and out of there, uh, uh, but I am in there and so you can ask me questions. Um, but read the book. Uh, uh, that's a great starting place. Uh, we, we all need these first principles of, of restaurants and we need to own them. And once you own them, it, it changes your, your game. And so... I would start there. Amazing. Peter, Peter, thank you so much for coming on. Kyle, it's a gift. I'm, I'm really happy that we met. And, uh, and yeah, whenever you want to talk. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Guest Getter. I'm your host, Kyle Guilfoyle. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. As always, you can head over to guestgetter.co to check out the resources in this episode's show notes and sign up for our weekly newsletter. That is it for today. We'll see you next time.